Good morning again, everyone. I want to let you know that you know we consider church to be a big family here. So, if you're visiting with us, you're you're joining in with the family, and we do a lot of family stuff throughout the year. So, if uh, if you fill out your connect card, we'd love to let you know about different events we hold, movie nights, karaoke nights, believe it or not. Uh, and just various things like that. We have a lot of fun around here. And it's amazing to think that on a movie night in December, someone came to that movie night who hadn't uh, been to the church before, and she's become just a great friend of our families. We see her every week a couple times in our living room and study the Word of God together. And that's what God does. He builds a family. And that's what church is all about. And I'm really thankful for our, our, our uh, Sunday teachers who are teaching the kids. They, they, they uh, teach your kids as if they were their own. They're, they're very passionate about what they do. And uh, I'm just so happy that your kids are getting to sit with these wonderful people who love children uh, this morning. It makes us all feel excited. So my name is Nathan Detweiler. I'm the senior pastor at this church, believe it or not. You can tell by the suit jacket, I guess, right? <laughs> this is my, uh, I figure I need to wear this at least twice. I married a couple in the church with it in October, so I thought, you know, this is my big chance to bring it out again on Easter. I began a strange Easter tradition last year when I accidentally made a horrible suggestion to people about a show they might want to watch. And uh, some of you might remember it. Uh, For research purposes, I'd been watching The Walking Dead. And, um, (laughs) you know, in order to be up to date with everything that's going on in culture, I have to keep keep up with these things. So for research, I I was watching this show, and I just thought, what an amazing illustration in this show, because of course the show is not about zombies primarily, it's about the people who are not zombies in the show, and just how selfish and self-preserving they become. And that's something that us Christians, we call sin, but it's something that's illustrated so clearly in that movie that even good people uh, have this potential for great darkness. Uh, So a pastor that heard this sermon, when I was telling him about it, he said, that's a great illustration, you should do that. And so I did that. The, the, un, the unintended byproduct was that uh, a woman in our church binge-watched the whole series. <laughs> and I was just doing it for research as a pastor. She binge-watched the whole series, and season seven was rough, apparently, you know. Uh, people that are laughing apparently watch the show, so there you are. There you all are. Um, so her husband was mad at me because she was a, literally a TV zombie watching that for a while. So I say, that, I say all that to say I've begun an annual tradition of, of accidentally making inappropriate recommendations for media consumption. Um, and I think it's only fair that on Easter we do this. Um, and this is phase two of this tradition. And we're going to start it with a little game. And uh, I like to call this, which person is the most similar in some ways, okay, in some ways to Jesus, okay? In some ways. No one... We talk about, you know the word Christian means little Christ? That's what that means. So Christians believe that once we come to know God through faith in Jesus, that we receive the essence of God in ourselves, and we become, uh, we become people that embody uh, God and represent him to the world. We become ambassadors for Christ. Um, and so it's, it's not a crazy thing to say that someone can be like Jesus, but certainly, we're only, we only become like him to certain degrees, right? <laughs> and I'm saying that in some ways, these people are like Jesus. The first one's pretty easy. Mother Teresa. I am not minimizing her in the least by putting her, 
her first here in this list. Uh, she served the poor and untouchable people in, in Calcutta, as you know. She uh, uh, started a Missionaries of Charity congregation, which was devoted to helping people in great need. So people that were the most destitute, the most un- underserviced by society, the least touched. And uh, she won the Nobel Peace Prize, actually, in 1979. And my favorite thing about Mother Teresa is that she said uh, that each person she served to her was Jesus in disguise. And so she said she went about the streets looking for Jesus. Just a beautiful sentiment. Uh, and it's an embodiment of Matthew 25, where Jesus said, Whatever you have done for the least of one of these brothers or sisters of mine, you've done unto me. So really... Uh, she, she displayed a beautiful, compassionate love of, of God and also uh, the attribute of God where, you know, God loves the unlovable in a sense. You know, the people that the world rejects, God goes for those people. God is a loving God. You might know this guy, Billy Graham. Who knows Billy Graham? I picked really famous people, so I was really, really trying hard here. Um, he basically is a very gifted preacher evangelist. And he became a very gifted teacher and evangelist right as media was exploding. So televisions, uh, broadcasts, all these different kind of things launched him into the stratosphere of, of influence, right? And 215 million people in live audiences in 185 countries listened to this guy preach. And he's responsible for many, many people uh, coming to know Jesus, and actually, I know that people in this church, I've heard several stories of people that came to Christ through a Billy Graham ministry, right? You're out there. It's, it's wild stuff, and it's amazing how much influence this guy had. So obviously, the last... Uh... Why is everyone laughing? Gordon Ramsay, okay? I don't know if he's a Christian or not. <laughs> But you're listening, aren't you? Born in Scotland in 1966, Mr. Gordon Ramsay left behind an athletic career to become a renowned chef in London. By the early 2000s, he was making his mark on British TV, uh, Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares, Hell's Kitchen, uh, if you might have seen MasterChef or Hotel Hell. Um, <laughs> but uh, we, we really enjoy I can really recommend to you heartily MasterChef Junior. That I can recommend to you. There's something for every age group, and some things are for probably not good for any age group uh, with, with Mr. Ramsey. So why in the world would I suggest that Gordon Ramsay holds some Christ-like qualities, putting him in a list with Billy Graham and Mother Teresa? Well, the short answer is because it's both funny and unexpected. Uh, but the true answer to that is, as I've watched clips of this show, uh, for research purposes only, as you understand, I've seen... How he works with people is so similar to how God works with us. And you have to really come out on a limb with me, please. (laughs) He is uh, a little more crass and pushy than we like. Uh, But Chef Ramsay, like Jesus, works with people who would like things to be different in their lives, but who refuse to accept the truth of their situation. And due to this, are unable to change. Okay? You're with me? People are at a standstill. They're in denial. And he works with those people. And Chef Ramsay, like Jesus, persists in presenting the truth time and time again until he gets a half-hearted, well, maybe you're right, but, you know, he gets that. Uh, 
And then when people actually accept the truth of their situation from his point of view and say, say you know, I'm going to take responsibility for this, Chef Ramsay, like Jesus, pours out all of his amazing resources financially. You know, I mean, I'm saying Chef, in Chef Ramsay's case, pours out hundreds of thousands of dollars on these people that were in complete denial and says, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to fix your restaurant. I'm going to give you these top chefs to train your staff. Basically, he's a burr in people's sides who are in denial until finally they flip the switch, and then he pours out all of this help on them. And to me, you know, I guess I'm kind of a softy in a sense, but when I've seen clips of this show, I just say, I've said to myself, and I've said to many of you, like, I can really see the work of God how this is similar to the work of God in our lives. So preceding this next video clip, now you're, now you're really excited, right? There's going to be video clips. It's going to happen from Kitchen Nightmares. Uh, preceding this uh, clip is a whole sequence where the owner of this restaurant, Joe, serves Gordon a bunch of disgusting food. The food is bland, frozen, and rotten. It's disgusting. <laughs> Typical Kitchen Nightmare fare, Right? if you've seen the show, which none of you have. Um, he told Gordon that he trained with older chefs in Europe who took an interest in him and mentored him to be the amazing chef he is today. He told Gordon that nothing is frozen ever, but everything is always fresh, and all of these things you understand are lies. They're, compl- they're complete fabrication. Uh, so because Gordon can't work with someone who is in denial of the truth and is, in fact, lying... Uh, he makes sure that this guy is pushed enough that he admits that maybe this is all a facade. Uh, Maybe, uh, in in a clip that I can't show you, (laughs) because it was just too hard to edit. (laughs) Welcome to church, people. You're, You're getting an experience that no one else is getting on Easter morning here, okay? So, this guy, he, he's, he's, he's saying, you know, I trained with all these chefs, and then he gets pushed, and he goes, well, you know, I didn't say I trained with all those chefs going back and forth, you know, all this stuff. But Gordon doesn't let anyone get away with that because, as you will see, he wants people to succeed and do well. So this is one of my favorite moments in, the, in, the, in, the, in this clip. We see Joe, for the first time, beginning to take ownership, and Chef Ramsay is standing back, and it's really funny if you, if you look for it. He's like, okay, for real? <laughs> you know, are you really in? That's the look he has on his face. And the best thing is how the music changes and you know something is not quite right. So here we go. I was sitting upstairs listening and I got to say that what has happened here ultimately is my responsibility and my fault. I don't think that I'm a bad person in heart, but I'm tough, maybe a little bit too tough for this business. I need to soften up. We've got a lot of work. A lot of things need to change. And if that means that I need to change, and you need to change, and we all need to change, we're going to do it. You see that? The denial John is coming. immediately went to, we need to change. He cannot take responsibility for his own actions. This is not going to work unless you are 100% behind changing. Because everything that this restaurant stands for today is you, yet it's been propped up by your team. Are you 100% committed to change? I'm 100% committed to change whatever needs to be changed to make this restaurant, to 
find its potential. That's so am I. Okay? I love this clip. He, Gordon says, are you 100% committed to change? If you're 100% committed to change, I'm behind you. And this is just how Jesus works in people's lives. You know, Jesus pushes us, and Jesus says, are you really committed to looking at, hard at the truth and changing? And if you are, I'm 100% committed to helping you in that change. Uh, this is how people move towards transformation and life change. They have to accept the truth and be committed 100%. This next clip, uh, Joe talks about the experience after everything's happened. And you're missing a lot of stuff in between that you can't see, obviously. But it, I just love this clip. What an amazing atmosphere in this restaurant tonight, yes? Yeah. Yes. yes. That's what a good neighborhood bistro should sound like seven nights a week. It was fun. Joe, you have a stunning restaurant, a stunning team. Let them do it. Yes, it's been a hard week for all of you because you have a very, very stubborn owner here, right? Right, yes. yes. <laughs> and if this restaurant is going to succeed, each and every one of you are going to give me a promise that when Joe starts to step backwards into his old comfort zone, you need to stand up to him, yeah? It was well taken and understood. I, I, I promise that I won't go into the kitchen, okay? Would you mind if I just have 30 seconds with Joe, please? Thank you. Oh, right. Ay, ay, ay. I really meant what I said to your staff. You start cutting corners, going back to your old ways. Honestly, it's going to fail. You delivered. Well, it was rough. It's over to you. Didn't have to be that rough, let me tell you, because you're okay. one stubborn man. Well, it didn't have to be, but you got to remember what we were talking about me, Joe Nagy. Okay. I can't wait to come back. Good. And the last place I want to see you is in the kitchen. Understood. Good. Thanks, Chef. Man, you're hard work. That's what you signed up for. <laughs> Gave me a little slap at the end there. That's appropriate in football and on cooking shows, apparently. I love that quote. Joe says... You really delivered. You know, he was hemming and hawing this whole show. And, uh, and Gordon says, it didn't have to be so rough. You're a stubborn man. You are hard work. And, uh, and then Joe says, that's what you signed up for. I mean, can you see a metaphor for the Father's love in this? For the, for the love of God, the persistent love of God that won't settle for people living in, in dysfunction, in denial, and, and, and going through life uh, like, like zombies. He won't settle. But he keeps pushing until we accept the truth of our situation so we can change and become everything he's destined us to be. And when we do that, he pours out his very self onto us to make that happen. God is amazing. Jesus is the only one that can deliver true life change. This guy, Joe, undoubtedly the restaurant will shut down. <laughs> undoubtedly Gordon will go back and things will be back to where they were, which always happens in the show. But, when, but Jesus is the only one that can make, bring about real life change. And Jesus is patient. And Jesus waits for us to come around. When we're finally ready to face the truth, uh, when we're 100% in, Jesus delivers. He says, and they will know the truth, and the truth shall set them free. Now, we think we're a lost cause, uh, but guess what? Jesus knew what he was signing on to when he started pursuing you. He did. And uh, as my good friend and mentor Martin Sanders has said, Jesus knows everything about you, and Jesus delivers. That was Jesus' reputation 
when he walked the earth over 2,000 years ago, and it's still his reputation today. Jesus knows and he delivers. No matter who you are, what you've done, or what you need, Jesus knows and he delivers. We're going to be reading from John 4. You thought the whole sermon was going to be Gordon Ramsay? Really? No way. We're going to have a little bit of Bible in there too, friends. So if you need a Bible, put your hand in the air and Usher will bring you one. Uh, You can also follow along on the screen, which is also fine. We're going to look in John 4. And I just love the Easter season because it's, it is, it's just something about Easter. We feel the hope uh, of Jesus' resurrection. We feel the hope of, in, in the Northeast, the spring weather and the warmth coming in. We're reminded of God's great faithfulness and how he can really change our lives. So we're in, in John 4, 1. And we're going to read a little bit, and then I'm going to share some thoughts here. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sinkar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give to them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, it's clear that Jesus is speaking in some, some imagery here. But this woman is, is clearly on the level of, I don't want to have to come here drawing literal water every day. Can you, can you give me this water that, I don't, that can give me a supply so I don't have to come out here? Um, I think it's important to note in this passage that this woman is not seeking after God at all. I mean, Jesus happens to be there, and I think it's a divine appointment that God ordained. But this woman is not seeking after God. Like many of us, she is seeking relief from the pain of her life and existence. And uh, this woman, as you kind of picked up a little bit in some of the context here, uh, she had a stigma of being a person who was known to, to be promiscuous. This is just something that was go- going on at the time. And we know this because she was going into, the, in, at 12 o'clock, she was going to get water from the well at a time when no one else would be there in their right mind because it was so hot. She was trying to avoid the other gossipy women in town. And so she went to this well um, to, to avoid them. And, and so she, she felt that pain, uh, that kind of uh, suffering. And that's one of the reasons that the, the offer of living water was so attractive to her. She wanted to have a water source in her house that was never-ending so she wouldn't have to go out and feel 
the scorn and the shame of people shaming her uh, for things she had done in her past. She wanted to avoid that altogether. And so she was looking for that water. Another uh, thing that you see here is it says that Jews and Samaritans do not associate with one another. You know, there was racism problems here. You know, this woman was a Samaritan. Jesus was a Jew. There was, there was racial tensions. This was not a God thing. This was a human thing, an all-too-human thing that, unfortunately, we still deal with in our world today. And thirdly, there was uh, this issue of women being devalued uh, to the point that Jesus, the thought of a man meeting with a woman in this kind of way would have been very taboo and unheard of. So these are all the things this woman was trying to escape in many ways uh, in, in this conversation. And notice that Jesus... Basically, just his presence there and the way he interacted with her was countercultural. It tore down all these different things immediately and probably opened her heart in a way. Because here we have someone who's not a racist, who's not being a sexist, and who is not judging her harshly for her life. Jesus, the embodiment of love and care, but nonetheless, one who was going to confront her a little bit and, uh, and seek after her. You know, and, and uh, so this woman was not seeking after God, but she was seeking relief from all these different uh, four layers of difficulty she had in her life that many of her uh, fellow Samaritan women did not uh, sense. And I think that we're the same many times. We're not, we're not always seeking God ourselves, but we would like to get out from under, <laughs> seriously, the consequences of past poor decisions that we've made. We'd like to get past the pain of not being admired, and thought of well by people around us, or the pain of disappointment in finding out that um, we're not finding the success and fulfillment in our families or our jobs that we'd hoped for. Now, we, we want to escape these things. As a culture, we want to escape these negative kind of feelings. So many times people are trying to escape. They're not necessarily looking for God. But God takes that opportunity sometimes to tell us there is a living water that goes beyond all this stuff that truly satisfies and brings eternal life. And that's what we see Jesus doing in this passage. We're going to continue in verse 16. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Ooh, can you imagine? Cut to the heart. You know, Jesus knows. <laughs> Jesus knows. 2,000 years ago, Jesus knows. And today, Jesus knows. So what do we do when someone uh, points out something like that in our life? Sir, the woman says, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Totally switched the topic. <laughs> it's like Joe, you know? He's like, you know... I realize I need to change. Uh, we, we all need to change. You know, things have got to change around here. Mostly you guys, you know. We just try to wiggle. This is what we do. So she turns it to a debate on theology. And the great thing about Jesus is he entertains the question and gives an awesome answer, and then he just lovingly redirects. Because, again, he actually cares about this woman getting out from under all of these things that she's suffering from and also the problems she's not aware of where she needs a savior. He's trying to reach her on this level of, of the spiritual and the living water that he uh, provides. 
So, so she says, Sir, the woman says, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. See, there was this expectation of a Messiah coming who would set things right. Just like in our day, uh, there were many different interpretations on everything, and everyone sort of had different opinions on all kinds of different things, and and a lot of people just said, you know, we'll wait till the Messiah comes, the prophesied one, to get these things uh, straightened out. But this woman, uh, Jesus knows everything about her. He knows what's holding her back. That's the most important thing about this passage. He knows her secrets, and he lovingly draws them out. And, uh, and when she changes the, the, uh, the debate to something about a mountain which has nothing to do with this current situation, uh, Jesus gives a really good answer. And she says, well, essentially she says, I guess, I guess no one can really know. That's your opinion. This is my opinion. We'll wait for the Messiah to come to straighten this out. And then Jesus says, that's me. <laughs> now, that's something. That's something. And once again, this woman is cut to the heart. This is what, Jesus, this is what the Holy Spirit, that Jesus does even today in us. He meets us in these unexpected ways, breaking through all these different barriers that we feel, both real and imagined. And as we open our heart, he just goes a little further and a little further uh, in, in working in us. Um, this woman is cut to the heart. She is a social reject without a lot of hope, who isn't even presently seeking God. And she finds the Messiah who knows the truth about her life, yet is still pursuing her, luring her towards grace, forgiveness, and transformation. I just think that's such a beautiful thing, that the God, the God that we're not even seeking is seeking us. That's the God that we serve, Jesus Christ, uh, the loving God we serve. Let's finish this out. John four twenty seven. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman because in that culture, (laughs) again, Jesus broke through all these things, but the disciples were a little bit backwards still, right? Um, Surprised to see him talking with a woman, but thankfully, no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Because that would have not gone well. (laughs) We know that Jesus would not have been happy with that. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. And and, uh, and there's a little bit of a different story going on. Then in verse 39, we see it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So it's just this, this totally amazing story that through all these different layers of defense, while not even seeking God, here is Jesus breaking these barriers down and just going further and further to this woman uh, to the point where once he, once he, there's something about being known for the truth of who you actually are, even if it's bad, 
there's something so freeing about that. Because it's such a prison. It's such a prison when you have secrets that no one knows about, and they, they, they define you from your perspective, but for everyone else, they have no idea. They're like, why are you so hard on yourself? You know? These things are, are, are a prison to us that we hold in our hearts. But once Jesus says, shows this love and compassion and says, this is your secret, uh, you, you, you're not married, and you've had five husbands and all this kind of thing, being known like that and still being loved, accepted, and pursued uh, just transformed this woman. She was set free by that to the point that she didn't even care about the social stigma anymore. She ran back to those women she was trying to avoid and said, look, I met a guy that knows everything I ever did. And they're like, oh, okay, I guess we can't gossip about that anymore, right? I guess we'll have to find something different to do with our free time. And it's just something that's so, so free. Um, and it's like, it's like my, my friend Martin Zander says, and I love this quote, Jesus knows and he delivers. And no matter where you are, what you've done, or what you need, Jesus knows and Jesus delivers. Jesus has the power and authority to actually change our lives so we can stop pretending being who we want to be and actually be the people that God's called us to. And when we find our place in Jesus through drinking the living water, we can finally become the person that we were destined to be when God created us. And Jesus has been seeking and finding people in every generation. I mean, we're still celebrating Easter. You're here, right? Over 2,000 years later, the historical person of Jesus Christ is still working in the world uh, through the Holy Spirit, and he's radically transforming lives. I could tell you story after story after story of people whose lives have been transformed by Jesus. I was reflecting on some, with some of you this morning on some anniversaries in your life of, of what God's done. Like, Think of where you were four years ago. Think of where, where, how that was. Think of where you were five years ago. Think about where you were six months ago. And what, what God, Jesus has done as we have, as we've listened to the truth, as we've stuck with him, and we've said, I yield myself to you. Change me. I'm ready to change. I'm ready to do this thing. And uh, that's one of the, also the beauties of community like this, because in a community like this, where we manifest the love and the graciousness of Jesus, we can look at each other and say, you know what? Tell me your truth. Jesus loves you and forgives you. Um, And we can be like Christ for other people, letting them know that no matter what prison they find themselves in, that it's not too much for God. No one's too far gone for God. Heck, this woman wasn't even seeking after God. He was seeking after her. That's the God that we worship. I travel almost an hour every every um, six months or so, unless I'm bad and I don't go for a year, uh, to see my dentist. Because uh, there's something really, I, I went, you know like when you have someone you trust in the medical profession, you'll drive any distance to see them because you know, I visit someone, someone local to me and they're like, oh, you have 17 cavities and you need to have all your teeth replaced and I recommend gold. And then you go to your family dentist you grew up with, and he's like, yeah, you have a dark spot in one tooth. It'll be fine. Just use fluoride. And you're like, okay. I don't trust anyone but my dentist. So there's something profoundly grounding about driving back to my hometown, driving through the old buildings and looking. I'm very sentimental, so I look at the movie theater where me and my friends used to go to the movies, the restaurants we used to go to, and I go see my dentist, who I've been with since I was a young child. You know, And there's something grounding about that. I really enjoy that experience. 
So recently I went to him because one of my teeth broke, which is not a good thing to have happen. And uh, I went in to see him, and he filled it, did the work, and, he, and then this is just a couple months ago, and he said, on your way out, tell the receptionist it's all taken care of. And I was expecting to shell out a couple hundred bucks for that sucker, you know? But you know why I got that taken care of? My father is a well-known doctor in that area, and as a professional courtesy to my father, he often will do things like that, which is very kind, just doctors kind of treating each other and their families, and their families well. And it, it's such, for me, that was such a... God spoke to me in that and, uh, and said, you know what? This is what your salvation is like. You have the merits of Jesus on the cross who died for our sins and provided a covering for our sins through his sacrifice. That's not something that we did. Heck, we weren't even looking for God. He was looking for us. And, on our, and, and as we are coming to when payment needs to be made, where we legitimately owe money or we legitimately owe some kind of uh, something for our sins, um, the Father says, through Christ, it's taken care of. It's a vicarious atonement uh, through Jesus that we're covered by someone's work that we didn't even do. And we're saved by grace. It's not by anything we could earn. It's a gift from God. Um, it, it would be impossible for us to change our lives and, and, and turn around if it weren't for this free gift of God. We're lost and broken. We need to face the truth of our situation, that we are sinners in need of grace. And once we face that truth, we need to receive the free gift that comes from the Father through Jesus. And we need to receive that living water that Jesus offers. It's a metaphor but it's a metaphor for something that's true. It's something, it's something that fills us. It's living water, so it's like a stream. It's effervescent, like Alka-Seltzer. It's alive, and it, and it wells up within us, um, causing us to become not the, the person who is living in, in denial and living a fantasy, but really the person God's always created us and destined us to be. That's the gift of God found in Jesus. And if you knew the one who said that he would give you living water and the gift and what it means, you would ask him and he would give it to you. Just like Jesus in this passage. Because Jesus has the power and the authority to change your life. He has the power and authority to save you from the consequences of your own sin and to transform you into the new creation that is, uh, that is that he'd always destined you to be. If you knew the one who was, at, who was inviting you to this, you would ask him and he would give it to you. You don't have to be special. You just have to face the truth that you need it. It's a gift of God. As the worship team comes forward, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you'd like to put your faith in Jesus this morning, ask him to fill you. Or if you would like to as someone who believes in Jesus, you just feel that emptiness and the need for, for that realization of the living water and that experience to fill you. Uh, please join me in this prayer as the worship team plays. Heavenly Father, we, we come squarely face-to-face with the truth that we are um, sinners in need of a Savior. Not only are we uh, under the weight of sin, but we also are under the weight of our own secrets. 
in this life. And there's things about us that no one knows that make us feel shame. But Lord, we thank you that you know. We thank you that you do not treat us harshly. You do not treat us as our sins deserve. You do not repay us tit for tat like the world does. But you forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of our unrighteousness. You wash them away. You blot them away. And so, Jesus, we bring ourselves to you with this realization that we need it. Um, We need forgiveness. We need covering. We need transformation. We need to be changed so that we can have the peace that surpasses understanding in our lives. And we ask you, Jesus, for the living water that you offer this Samaritan woman. We know that you've been offering this living water to every generation since uh, this woman's story. And her story is really a story about us. While we were dead in our sins, while we weren't even looking for you, you looked for us and offered us living water that we might drink and never thirst, that we might be saved and have everlasting life in Jesus Christ. So Lord, be the Lord of our lives, be our Savior, and help us to walk in this new life you've given to us according to the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Please join us and sing. difference when you go from a place of love, forgiveness, and acceptance, um, as opposed to trying to change yourself. It just doesn't work without knowing the love of God for you. God loves you. He's a good father. Um, Let me bless you as we are dismissed here. Father, I thank you for these people, your family, and I I pray your blessings upon them. I pray safety for them as they travel. I pray they would fully enjoy the beautiful creation you've made, the beautiful weather, and uh, and celebrate the joy of the resurrection of Christ, um, which gives us great hope and warms our hearts and, and wells up within us into eternal life. We thank you that you've made us perfect forever, even as we are being made holy, that it is finished. Your work has made... Our, our spiritual bankruptcy finished so that we can actually uh, be saved and follow you. We thank you so much for that. In Jesus' name, amen.